Okay, hey there folks, we're back with the fifth and final chapter of my 2019 Archery Elk season. This chapter is called Luck of the Draw. There is a saying I've always repeated in my head during encounters with big game. Don't look at the antlers. It's a reference to keeping your composure and staying focused on executing the shot without the distraction of what the rack looks like. It totally makes sense. And in many situations, I've left myself yearning to know more about the rack following the encounter, or in some cases, the shot. Like any hunter, I want to let my eyes admire the critter, including its rack. I want to let my eyes scale each inch of antler. I want to imagine what it would feel like to grip those antlers in my hand. And so eager as I may be to see it up close and on the ground in front of me, my rule is to avoid admiring the antlers for the sake of focus, but also in hopes to find the critter like a Christmas morning surprise with just barely a peek at what's inside the wrapper. With so much time in the presence of this big bull, frankly, after several minutes, I had nothing but time and eventually began to peel back the wrapper a bit and start to admire this bull's rack. His main beams were strikingly long, and heavy even at the ends. His left G5 had a unique curve to it, something I knew I'd be able to recognize and identify this bull with if I saw him again. He was a real beauty, wide, long, and heavy enough. Well over 300 inches, he was a grand representation of an upper middle class herd bull. But the way the circumstance had unfolded, I found my likelihood of a shot at this bull very unlikely. I still get excited. Lots and lots of adrenaline flows with the anticipation of shots. But I've noticed with the last few bulls, I've managed to stay much more composed than compared to the earlier days of my hunting career. I recall situations long ago of being so freaked out I could barely think, literally, a deer in the headlights looking through my sights, and too panicked to comprehend pins, yardage, and such. Trying desperately to steady a wobbling aim is a feeling I can hark directly back to. And it's one of the things that first-time hunters can never really prepare for. Unfortunately, adrenaline throws a lot of shooting practice out the window. As this big bull came trotting up and the realization sunk in that my shot opportunity was materializing right before my eyes, it was sudden, and despite spending so much time admiring the bull's rack, I was able to hold my focus and maintain vision to find a shot opportunity and executing it to the best of my ability. And it ended up being the greatest shot of my life. And Ian and I struggled to figure out how it even came together. You'll notice that I just mentioned Ian, after earlier describing how he and I had split up earlier that morning. Well, following my encounter and eventual shot, I let the dust settle, and then I began my signal calls, hoping that Ian would pass within earshot and we'd be able to meet up. Blaring off double cow calls every few minutes, I moved up the slope aways to where I hoped that Ian could hear. And eventually, he did, and signal called back to me. I was so stoked to make that connection and that I knew that he would come down and be part of this process and experience with me. Ian has been one of the few people I've hunted elk with on and off here for the past 10 or so years. He's an experienced hunter, 
although a bit green still in his archery elk career. He also carries a traditional bow, a huge chunk of self-imposed challenge I've yet to bite off myself. But those traits aside, he's just the kind of guy that everybody loves. A tall, dark, and handsome beacon of positive energy and witty laughter. Always an asset and never a liability. Ian has always been a great friend and in all sorts of ways. From fatherhood, fishing, garage beers, and all around just positive life perspective. Our wives are great friends. Our kids are great friends. We're neighbors even. So when he's not off refing college football in September, he'll take extraordinary steps to make it out for even just a day or two in the mountains. So remember in the last chapter when I mentioned needing something to stir the pot? So yeah, and like I described in that previous chapter, we'd split up with Ian following a ridgeline down to where he was hearing bugles while I dropped off the side to pursue the bugles that I had heard. Following our departure, we both got into elk. And I'll just let Ian describe what happened with his encounter. I was walking down the finger and like I can just come up with whiffs of elk and I'm looking down and there's like fresh piss, fresh poop fresh piss, fresh poop, and I'm like smelling the smell it. And I can hear people, and I'm like, all right, I think I'm like 150 yards away. And I come in about 100 yards, and I'm like, also just like creeping in. And I had just taken like, I was taking like three, four steps at a time and stopping, looking, listening. And I just, as I started taking some steps, I heard a crack. And I was like, so, just one pop. And I stayed there for like 30 minutes listening, looking, waiting, and like 30 minutes later, I was like, I decided to give just a tiny cow call. And there's nothing. I was like, well, I'm gonna go see it. They couldn't have smelled me. The wind was in my face the whole time. I took three more steps, and like all of a sudden, crashing. And like, elk went that way. I saw a few cows like bust left toward you. Did you happen to catch that? group of cows bust left toward you but i stopped and like took a video and i was like oh shit like i just busted the herd out they didn't smell me but i know you're over here i saw some animals come this way and i was like i hope they go by brian elk i'm sure knew very well where each of these herds were located but ian and i sure didn't so i suppose that's not at all surprising that when ian bumped that herd off the finger that he was on that when those elk bailed off the edge, they lined up to join up with the herd that I was standing among. But for me, this was incredible luck. And the timing of everything to maintain restraint and sit tight for just as long as I did, deferring on the coin toss to wait and see what the elk presented as opportunities on their own. And the way this group of cows trotted in just yards behind me and stirred the pot pulling the bull right in front of me. Now that is some serious luck right there. Luck of the incredibly good kind. And then I was, you know, like started heading out. I was like, I'm gonna go to the spring. And I heard your, your double cow call that we agreed we were gonna meet up with. And it was down here. So I was like, well, they probably ran by him. He knows they're busted out. And I come walking down, dude, and your face was just like, and I was like, Looked at you, I looked away, looked at you, you're like, <laughs> I look away, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm about ready to start apologizing. <laughs> you're like, I don't have a backpack, 
on my palm, like, dude, you got <laughs> And so now with this chapter break, we entered what is arguably my favorite part of this saga, the tracking. First things first, we attempted to figure out how the heck the shot came together. Looking through the 12 o'clock window that I had shot through and trying to recreate where the bull was standing when my arrow connected with him proved more confusing than clarifying. In fact, trying to align a shooting window with the bull's tracks, we never ever even got the puzzle pieces to fit right, at least not without cramming parts together or bending a corner off here or there. To this day, I still can't wrap my head around how the shot came together. Off, and he's like, I'm out of here. And he whirled and ran straight down. And as soon as he was running straight down away, I started goat bleating, blah, blah, blah. And he just shuffled enough sideways. He went to the right side of those two dead sticks, went to the right side, or those, that, those two leaning and as soon as he did that, he turned just enough of a little bit of a quartering angle and looked back at me, and I sent it. It was a good quartering away shot, but my arrow came in. I'm a little worried because it's high, but it came right in and sunk. I mean, it was just... So um, now we're gonna begin what's typically my favorite part of hunting, and that is following a blood trail because I love the CSI aspect of tracking. We'd given the bull plenty of time at this point, and so I headed down the tracks in search of first blood. It can take a while for that blood to start flowing and spilling out of a wound. And when an animal as fast as an elk is covering ground at full tilt, this can equal quite a distance of following dry tracks. And it was 30 or so yards down the tracks before I did spot that first speck of blood. Oh, look, he actually stomped on the top of that log. And I did see more blood here. Yep. Good. This really only concerned me because the bull was running with an entire herd of other tracks. So there was a point we'd really need that blood to ensure we were following the right track. Mark on that one there. Little by little, small spots of blood kept us moving along the trail. Approaching 50 yards in, I thought it was strange that all the drops we were seeing were coming out the right side of the track. Now this was good in the sense that it indicated that my arrow had passed through the bull's body, but strange that visible blood was not coming out of the entry point on his left side. And the volume we were getting out of this right side was very light prompting my remark here, comparing the scenario to the win probability tracker on my ESPN app during football games. Oh yeah, splatters, boy, it's light. It can take a while for the blood to really get flowing, but we're getting to the point now to where I really want to see it start flowing in order to feel better. It's like watching a football game and the win probability tracker that swings that percentage. Oh, yeah. That's what this is like, is like analyzing, all right, how far are we? How much blood should there be that we would hope to see? Yeah, how much are we blood. finding? This is a strange, it's all coming out the right side. I was a bit perplexed. Given the tracking was still so early on, and we were really not even out of sight from the zone from where I'd shot, I was far from worried. Ian followed along behind me, stopping at each point of blood as I tracked onward, indicating where he could move up to to hold the next spot. 
Last blood's right up here. The tracks were headed for a mess of old downfall, and I scanned 40 or so yards ahead to look for obvious, easy to spot splashes of red on the clean silver canvas of barkless fallen logs. <laughs> oh, buddy. I didn't see any blood. My eyes landed instead on ivory-tipped brow tines and the horizontal rack of that huge bull. I can't believe he's right there. I was just looking like in that downfall, like, all right, where's a drop of blood? Drop of blood. And then just some downfall 30 yards ahead, look for red. Oh, there's a bunch of brown antler. Oh, oh hello, my friend. <laughs> Gosh. Give me a hug, buddy. <laughs> oh. Great shot, dude. This is not Crown Point. This is not the bull that I shot at and missed second week of the season, but this is another really nice herd bull. I'd officially arrowed another herd bull and my largest bull to date. And like a number one rule that I've always had is like, don't look at the antlers. But after like the first couple of minutes, when you're just trying to wait for a shot opportunity, then all of a sudden they're just like sitting there. You kind of got nothing else to do except look at the antlers. <laughs> and I broke my own rule and I spent a long time with my eyes looking at these antlers and imagining what they felt like as they were swinging around the top of his head as he was staying hidden in the behind branches where he was so close but there was no possible way I'd have a shot. And look at that whale tail. How awesome would it be to just, you just want to like bite them there. There's this visceral feeling of holding on to antlers that you've been looking at. It's just like, the solidness of the experience that's I don't know how to describe it taking an animal home is a fundamental of success of course it alone is not the only potential for success it is the bare bones objective of a hunt for me punching a tag is simply a bonus it's a reward it's not necessarily a statement of any prowess or achievement because harvesting big game is so dependent on luck. And luck is something that's totally out of our hands. No matter how good or bad we are, or how hard we've trained or practiced, what level of hunter we presume ourselves to be or wish to be perceived as. To me, it's a reward that either good luck made happen or bad luck missed and I slipped one past the goalie. I say this because I've struggled with monumental, mind-bending streaks of bad luck in the past. And I'm no better hunter today than I was 15 years ago. It's just that I've skated by with five years of good luck now. Prior to that, I agonized swallowing 10 consecutive seasons of bad luck and smashing defeats. In the final years before that streak was finally broken, it began to feel like a curse, so disruptive it made me feel foolish for trying harder and harder each season. It made me feel like success in the field was entirely out of my hands, and the more effort I poured in, the more laughable it was. 
for someone or something. Walking around feeling cursed is not awesome. I can say that firsthand, especially for someone who doesn't even believe in curses. I've heard sayings to the effect that luck is where hard work and preparation cross paths. I certainly agree that the more things a person is doing right, the better the odds are that the desired outcome can happen. But I've seen enough archery elk encounters in my time to know that no matter who you are or what you do, luck always holds the final card. So you better pick up that trash someone else couldn't be bothered to pack out. Smile and shrug when the inattentive driver cuts you off in traffic. And just be stoked for the things in life that catch your attention and remind you of how lucky you are. That's what I'm trying to do. And with 10 for 10 big game tags punched now in a row, I'm thanking my lucky stars every night. I'm Brian Husky. Thanks for listening and coming along. Okay, friends, that's the wraps on the 2019 Archery Elk Essay. There will be more coming up as teasers for next summer because we had a lot of memorable encounters that I would really like to share with you. But we're moving on for now. Thanks so much to all of you who are supporting my work with this project. I am diving in and making this the focus of my time these days. It's really just a natural fit for me, and enough people have told me that there's something special about what I'm doing, so I'm pouring my heart into it. Big thanks here to my friends, the Wrinkle Neck Mules, for the great tunes, and we'll talk to you guys later.